I was walking by and she was like, Chris, Chris, Chris. And I was like, yeah. And I walked over and she's like, do you do a podcast on American Horror Story? And I was like, in my mind, I'm like, okay, who told her? Probably um, like one of my coworkers who teases me about it or something like that. And I was like, uh, I was like, yeah, yeah, I do. It's not like a fancy thing. It's just kind of something I do for fun. Um, but yeah, I was like, why? And she's like, well, actually, um, this guy I've been dating uh, since the summer uh, listens to it, and he loves it. And I'm like, <laughs> what? Are you kidding me? That's awesome. Uh, yeah, it was really cool. And uh, she was like, yeah, um, um, we were talking about podcasts because she's obviously in the audio journalism program. Uh, and we were talking about podcasts, or she was talking about podcasts with him, and it came up, and he said he listens to American Horror Story. Uh, and then in one of our episodes, we talked about Columbia Beer, our brewery, and he looked us up, and he's probably hearing this now. <laughs> I don't I don't know his name, so he doesn't get a, a, a professional shout-out, but uh, he's in Wisconsin. So we got to listen to Wisconsin. What's up, Wisconsin? <laughs> That's awesome. That's the first time I've that's ever been an actual like serendipitous uh, fan, I guess. Yeah, you know, we'll, uh, we'll know. Found out well, about us. Here's when we know we'll yeah. really make it is when we're at a bar, or a restaurant, or somewhere, and someone recognizes our voice. <laughs> we'll see if it, exactly. Okay. You might get well. You might actually get. You might actually get that from your your regu- your regular day job, but true. I do a little bit. The longer I'm here, the more I get it. Yeah. Um, I have a lot of fans in their 60s. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I have a feeling that doesn't cross over that much with this American Horror Story constituency. No. Nope. Hey, maybe. Maybe there's Quite a few. different demographic. Maybe, maybe. there's a few. <laughs> so. Awesome. Uh, anyway, you want to you wanna get going? Let's do it. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to This American Horror Story, an unofficial podcast about the FX hit show, American Horror Story. I am your host, Tyler Moss, here with my co-host. Chris Husted. What's up, everyone? Welcome, welcome. Uh, how's everything going with you, Chris? Pretty good. Um, I'm really excited to get into this episode. I think this, this season is surprising me in how much I am into it. So, um, yeah. that being said... Uh, I'm also at work today. <laughs> yeah, we're recording the next day, and, um, you know, I think that as that typically means we don't have our standard drinks on hand, but hey, maybe our analysis will be a little bit more in-depth with that being True. said. But before we dive into anything, of course, I always want to remind everybody to catch us on Facebook.com slash This American Horror Story. We had um, some really awesome conversation going on after last episode. I think we ended up with, like, somewhere around 40 or so comments on, on the a lot podcast people, post. Yeah. There, we were yeah. flinging theories around. It was fantastic. Um, I don't know if I remember all of them, so if you remember some, you'll have to bring them into the discussion. And um, the other thing I was going to say, of course, is you can email us at thisamericanhorrorstory at gmail.com. And please, if you would, we would really appreciate it if you go check us out on iTunes, if that's where you listen, and rate us and review us. Uh, we really sincerely appreciate it. It means a lot. Um, especially, you know, we we try to take out all constructive criticism and stride as well. But if you have good things to say, that really means a lot to us, and it you know it helps our podcast get out to even more people, and and you know expands this community even further. So we sincerely appreciate that. True. Now, without further ado, I am prepared to dive into episode five, which is Boy Wonder. But beforehand, I want to drop a couple 
quick interesting things um, that I came across. The first is I was reading, I was kind of digging online and had found an article that was talking about some Easter eggs in this particular episode. And there was one I came across that I didn't think of as a throwback at the time, but I, now that I hear it again, it makes total sense. Um, when Cordelia is arranging Michael's Seven Wonders test, she says that she wants to wait until the blood moon, which mm-hmm. is, of course, a throwback to Roanoke, which Roanoke. is yeah the time when all the people would you know cross over from the other world or whatever and come kill people. It wasn't exactly clear, I don't think, why that why she wanted to wait for them to do the test. Uh, maybe it holds some witchy, mystical, you know, mystical power, obviously. Um, but that part wasn't made clear. Uh, the other thing I was going to say is that um, on Facebook, Matthew provided the translation of Michael's Latin chant before he descends to hell to retrieve Misty Day, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, awesome. So, Thank so he, you for that. So he sent this to us, and the translation is, The guidance of the Spirit is in me. Lead me into darkness, or lead me into the darkness of life to the very end to salute the grave descent. So, not that it reveals anything specific, but still kind of cool and interesting. Right. Um, but, that being said, let's go ahead and, I guess, dive into this cold open and the episode itself. For me, I feel like this episode was very straightforward. It's not like we had a bunch of subplots going on like we have in the past. How did you feel about that? I mean... On, some, on the surface, maybe it seemed like this episode was then less com- complex, but on the other hand, it meant the, maybe the writing was tighter? I don't know. I thought the same thing, actually. It's quite the conventional episode for a traditional um, TV show. Uh, very straightforward, uh, linear in narrative, which made it a nice uh, kind of break from some of the hopping around that we sometimes do in American Horror Story with flashbacks. That being said... Lest we forget, we are in a flashback during this whole episode, though. Um, and I had to remind myself that a few times, uh, especially at the end when we see where they're going. I was, wait, I thought that was demolished. Oh, got it. This is, we're in the back. We have a flash forward and a vision of of uh, Cordelia's. But then we go back to 2017, I believe, is the year that we're in currently in this extended flashback. But I liked the linear narrative. Um, I was into it. Yeah. You make a really good point about these. This whole entire episode effectively being a flashback from you know the storyline we started at with the beginning, which is a little bit of a rabbit hole that I find somewhat frustrating. And I think I'll probably talk about this again at the end of the episode when we're giving it ratings and see if I've come around to it at all. But I mean, obviously, I love the fact that we're back. And I mean, a lot of this flashback is effectively you know being our. Um, Coven sequel, and then, you know, we're about to move into Murder House, too, but it's, it's just not how I expected it. I think we had, you know, speculated a little bit that maybe the Sanctuary was going to be in the Murder House, which I guess it could still be, but I wasn't... I guess the path to getting here wasn't quite what I was expecting, and I don't know how I feel about the story not... Nece- you know, the original story not necessarily moving forward, but this all being, like, information building up. Um, but I've got some theories and stuff about that, too. Before we, well, so not before we do anything, but I'm wondering if you would want to walk us through Cordelia's vision that she has at the beginning of this episode. Sure. It's pretty simple. She, um, We see this imagery of a demolished apocalyptic scene that is Miss Robichaud's school. Uh, she's looking around, and it's, you know, in ruins. Everything, the, the building is actually gone. There's the the stone with the name of the school on the ground. 
There's the smoke kind of rising or mist rising. It's very post-nuclear war is what I'm associating it with because we've already seen that in the previous episodes, which is present time. Uh, and then we see some bodies kind of, or some figures start kind of coming into view. Uh, there's two of them, three of them, four of them, and they kind of descend upon uh, uh, Cordelia, and these people look like they are the Billy Eichner character. Uh, they're boils, and they don't look very healthy. Clearly, they have what we associate with the groups that have overrun the other outposts. This is probably who we're talking about. Uh, very Walking Dead. <laughs> I was bet yeah, full, uh, they, full on Walking Dead. Yeah, like yeah, they did. A, if they took a a gore lesson from Walking Dead, they I thought they did a pretty accurate job. And she gets, Cordelia gets pounced upon and a chunk is taken out of her neck and her arm. And we just see her essentially devoured as she's being eaten by this group of zombies or walkers. <laughs> um, we see someone on the steps of the remnants of the school uh, in kind of a black hood, very pale, uh, kind of laughing, I think, at the, uh, at the scene of Cordelia going down. My question to you is, at this spot, who did you think that person was? Oh, I definitely thought it was Michael. I, in my head, it's like, it's like, you know, current Michael that we're seeing in the flashback and also in the modern day is like uh, Tom Riddle before he goes full Voldemort, you know what I mean? And what she's seeing in this mm -hmm. flash forward is like Michael in full Voldemort mode. Right, right. And essentially, we're going to come to find this person referenced as the white-faced demon, mm -hmm. I think. yeah. And, of course, we, we see those little flashes of Micah later on. Um, my question for you is, do you think that this vision Cordelia has, is it is it a full-on vision of what the future is certainly going to be? Or is it something that they can prevent? I, I guess it's not really clear. Yeah, this is, if we're going in, delving into, you know, X-Men, Days of Future Past, Territory, or a lot of uh, sci-fi TV shows where you see what the future is, uh, or even X-Men, or sorry, um, Avengers Infinity War, where Doctor Strange has seen all the different ways, uh, spoiler alert, <laughs> all the different ways that uh, they can win, and there's like one out of like a million or something like that, and there's only one way to do that. There's a possibility to change the future, and I, th I have a theory later on when we talk about certain characters, uh, but I think she gets this vision. She has the gift of divination so she can see what the future is. And that is informing her maybe on the choices she's going to make to either prevent it. Otherwise, she wouldn't care uh, or to uh, adjust it somehow. Well, and in that regard, too, um, you know, we if we are criticizing the flashback um, nature of all of this and then kind of the flash forward segment here, it does kind of fit into some of the theories that are circulating that the witches are going to somehow employ time travel to go back and prevent what's going on. Um, and that would make sense then why we kind of have this timeline that's jumping all over the place. Like maybe right. somehow, oh, I was going to throw this theory out at the very end, but you know, why not toss it out now? Like maybe, you know, in the very last episode, they end up somehow going back to the murder house when Michael is just a baby or when like rubber man impregnates Vivian or something like that to actually prevent that from happening in the first place, you know, which could be, kind of interesting and would be like a really good fit for this mashup season we've been talking about. Right. Um, so back when Cordelia's revived, obviously she's, she's kind of shaken up and she relates a little bit of this vision to the other witches. Um, 
But the first thing she does then is commit to giving Michael the Seven Wonders test. And we learn that no male has ever even made the attempt before. Right. I was surprised about that. And I guess that's supposed to demonstrate, you know, how much more powerful Michael is than any of the other male wizard warlocks. Um, right. And I guess really how much stronger the witches are than the warlocks in general. Um, which, you know, was kind of hinted at, but I guess, you know, that really is telling that, you know, you've had all these incredibly strong witches in the past, and in comparison, the warlocks are kind of feeble. And it also kind of explains why um, Ariel, the Grand Chancellor, is like so power-thirsty, yeah, to to finally make this happen, Um, which we'll talk more about a little bit later. Um, We, of course, kind of jump back to... Miss Robichaux's after this interaction, and um, while they're kind of preparing for Michael Seven Wonders to take place, they're waiting for some time to pass. Um, a couple of funny lines here. I liked how Myrtle kind of has a very telling rant against men, which is continuing to set up this male-female divide that we've talked about in the past, talked about last week. I also like how she threw Mark Zuckerberg in there as a, one yes. of the like worst examples men of men. Terrible leaders. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, she uses Attila the Hun, Herod the Great, and Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> Yeah. And she also says she's uh, apoplectic, which I thought was really great. Yes. Myrtle, I mean, Myrtle's, again, been a standout character. Uh, she's pretty, great. Pretty much has had the best lines, I would say, of the season so far. Coco and, and Nana had some good ones, too. But Well, she's. I wanted to point out real quickly, she's a little different than a lot of our other characters. Ryan Murphy and Brad Falchuk write a lot of their women as, you know, these sassy, fabulous women. And not that Myrtle isn't, but she's a lot more subtle with her lines. She's not, like, out there like Coco, like Madison, um, like th- those types of characters. She's a, a, She has subtlety to her, which I think is a testament to Frances Conroy, one of our favorites. True. And I would even say, like, her lines are a lot more intellectual to some degree, a lot more clever. Which Absolutely. I appreciate, too. I've had to hit instant replay a few times, though, because I can't always understand exactly what she just said because she is using words like apoplectic and um, there's something else later on that I was like, what? What did she say? And she talks very quickly, too. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That being said, I'm here for anything that she's going to say. You know, and here at the beginning, Cordelia also says something about how passing the seven wonders doesn't mean one is inherently fit to lead the coven. And I think that's new information. It is, and I think that it also hints that, uh, you know, it, it foreshadows a little bit what we end up learning later, that having Michael pass the Seven Wonders and having him take the Seven Wonders, she had other motivations for that, not just to crown him the Supreme or the Alpha or whatever, you know. Um, another interesting scene here that is kind of somewhat glossed over pretty quickly, but could potentially be important later on. Uh, Myrtle describes to Cordelia how Mallory brought a deer, a dead deer back to life. And we kind of see it again. And I will criticize the CGI again here, which I thought was really crappy. (laughs) Right. But, you know, we we get this other glimpse of Mallory's power. And we continue to get kind of these hints of Mallory's power without really understanding where it's going. But it really seems like we're leaning toward her being much more powerful. Probably, I mean, is is it too much to say that there's a good chance, at least in my mind, that Mallory ends up being Cordelia's successor and, you know, she's the ultimate one who's going to have the showdown with Michael, potentially. I think that's a possibility. I also think um, her powers, you know, mirrors in a much more uh, positive way, I guess, um, 
the she's like kind of the antithesis or the foil to Michael's powers. Uh, Michael has his fully realized, and Mallory's still kind of learning hers, and she's very angelic and whatnot. So I think there's a chance that she might maybe be more than just a witch or a supreme. She might have something else in her as well. Well, and I also wonder, we've seen these like glimpses of extraordinary magic from her um, with the butterflies and with the deer and stuff. And I can't help but think that, you know, some of those skills she's exhibiting are ones that they end up exhibiting when they perform the seven wonders test. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, absolutely. She's she's doing the transmutation type thing. She's bringing things back to life from the dead. Uh, I mean, it's not to the, you know, it's not humans or anything like that. She's not descending to hell that we've seen yet or anything, but it hints that maybe her power does indeed rival his. And it makes me actually think back to their interaction in one of the early episodes where he says to her, um, I thought that I remember when Michael is interviewing her and he says, I thought I had gotten rid of all of you. Now that you know what you know now, do you think that he's, he means witches? Cause we had originally speculated maybe he meant like an angel or something. Right. And, and, there's an odd chance that I still think that Mallory might be some type of angel or, or, you know, going with biblical things, she might be something else. But in that context, I assume he's meaning a witch or a warlock uh, because as we see after everyone dies from the apples, Mallory's one of those people who dies. Uh, and the only people who come to show up to save her or bring her back to life is um, Cordelia and uh, Myrtle and... Uh, uh, Zoe. Mm-hmm. There's like 17 names for each person I have to go through to yeah. remember. Um, so I think he did, I, even though they're brought to life in 2017, I think we might see Misty and uh, Queenie and Madison die again. <laughs> I think that's possible. Well, well, I guess we know Madison survives again because Madison, who is the three? Madison, Cordelia, and Myrtle are the three that walk in to revive. Mallory. Oh, it's Madison. I thought it was. It's not Zoe. It's Madison. It's Madison you, c- oh, okay, because Madison's the one who like says, "I bet you're surprised That's to right. see me again." Yes. Bitch. That's right. Right. You're right. Um, one other thing, real quick, about Mallory and the deer. What I and I I should have rewound this, but it looked like not. And Myrtle says she didn't just heal the wounds; she like undid them. But also the deer that she healed. It looked like when the deer popped back up that it was younger, like it was a, a fawn and not a adult deer yeah i saw someone else mention this in a review online that there was like she benjamin buttoned the deer so like rewound yeah. it somehow which could which i mean makes ma- me th- go ahead well i'll say which makes me think maybe that, that she's the key to rewinding time to stopping this from ever happening the that's apocalypse that's a really great observation um there's also rumblings online and we could discuss this a little bit before that mallory is you know somehow connected through heritage to um the original Supreme or something like that. We know that mm-hmm. we, they talked about perhaps her being related to witches from Salem. Um, right. That would be, you know, the witch from actually Roanoke, but who knows for sure where that's going. <laughs> and then we also know that Cordelia has um, a wound that, you know, her powers are Cordelia's powers are leaving her. She says, and that she's, she's, she knows mm-hmm. she's dying. And what that means is that a new Supreme is coming to power. Right. right which seems like quite the quick turnaround. <laughs> it does. But I guess it could also mean that perhaps Mallory is coming to power, too. It doesn't necessarily mean Michael, you know? Yep. Also, Myrtle's solution was Centrum Silver. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then we kind of have this little interlude that's only worth talking about for a second because it was kind of a funny scene in which we see Coco's yes. father, like, buying her in, and her only power is being able to sense gluten, which is, 
I thought that scene was actually pretty funny, even though I did Coco too. has annoyed me. Um, yes. In but, a dose like this, it's perfect. It is. And I do think that there might be something to the fact that Coco has this... I mean, Coco thinks it's very surface level. All I can do is, is identify gluten. But Cordelia notices it as a power to identify things that are dangerous. So you, you got to right. also feel like that's additional foreshadowing for something that's going to happen. I really like Cordelia in this. She, she, she's accepting of all people in a way and believes them and, and really pushes for people to find their own way. And it's really great. She's a good leader. I also feel like Cordelia a little bit is uh, like seeing in the code of the Matrix at the end when you like find mm-hmm. out all the kind of imagination she had going on throughout this, which is kind of cool. Um, jumping forward, we see the warlocks preparing for Langdon's trial. Um, they do kind of all this, you know, the ceremony with the salt and blood and water and the circle of power. And everybody seems to be, well, Goblet spe- of Fire. Goblet of Fire, yeah. More Harry Potter references. Um, Cheyenne Jackson continues to kind of see the darkness in Michael. Not only that, this is when he first sees the kind of flash of the demon face or whatever, right? Um, and he has this big kind of blow up with Billy Porter where we kind of see their powers demonstrated a little bit, which is kind of interesting. And Billy Porter also had like the sassy line that was like, when was the last time you had a 26-year-old come through your door? Talking, yeah. <laughs> referring to the bottle of wine, which I thought was pretty funny. That was a good one. I like that too. Do we know the name of Billy Porter's character? I know, Obviously, we know that Cheyenne Jackson's is John Henry. Yeah, I think it's Beyond, I think his name is. Okay, I wasn't sure. I didn't remember hearing that, at least not in this episode. Um, and then, I mean, let's talk through the, the death of Cheyenne Jackson. I mean, he apparently is driving oh, to behold. New Orleans. Sorry, Behold. Be- his name is Behold, behold. Chablis. Behold Chablis, okay. Cheyenne Jackson is, I, I guess, I presume, maybe driving to the airport if he's not driving all the way to New Orleans from California. That's not explained on how everyone's getting from point A to point B. I agree. And um, obviously the information has gotten out to the real Miss Mead that he is um, a problem for Michael in one way or another. So she takes him out. Um, pretty brutal scene. A lot of we throw back to some of the gore here we've had in past seasons like Hotel and stuff. Uh, slashing his Achilles is pretty gross. Um on Facebook, Matthew pointed out this could be an allusion to misery, which I thought was uh, a kind uh-huh. of fun poke. Uh-huh. And then she also sets his body on fire, which is also, you know, traditional burning of, of witches in, uh, right. throughout history kind of fits with, with that as well. It seemed kind of unnecessary to burn his body unless they just want, I guess maybe she wanted to be unrecognizable. Um, I, that's my best guess. And um, I, like, I like the theory that she had to burn him because he's a warlock. Yeah. I like, yeah, I prefer that too. Like maybe, maybe he could be resurrected. Maybe that's the only way to keep him from being resurrected is by desecrating I, the body. I don't think this is the last we've seen of John Henry. You don't think so? You think he's going to make a return? I think we'll see him again. I mean, it's essentially Coven Part Two, and everyone comes back at least twice. <laughs> <laughs> no one's, no one's ever truly dead. That's absolutely true. Um, and this is kind of the scene, obviously, where we have this little reunion with Miss Mead and Michael. Um, it's so weird because obviously we know that like I had last week questioned a little bit like, well, maybe he's actually naive and was just in a bad spot. Obviously, that's not true. But you still kind of see this little bit of immaturity to him where he's like, even though he's spawn of the devil, he's still like unsure of himself. And she's like being encouraging, which is like a weirdly like unsettling little dynamic. And then, of course, this is also where we see Ariel turning out to be a bad guy, which is, I mean, a little bit set up to be a reveal, but not especially surprising. 
Yeah. So a lot in this scene, one I've seen an interview with Ryan Murphy where he says, "Remember, Michael is like looks like the body of like a sixteen year old, eighteen year old, whatever, but in real life he's six years old, and he still acts like a like his birth or his birth date is shows he's six years old, even though he looks like he's eighteen or twenty or whatever. So I guess that's kind of part of his like boyish mentality." Um, but I, it's kind of frustrating in this whole sequence for me because, you know, why is he in Warlock School? And we find out that it was all a ploy to get to know his enemies better. It just seems, you know, I don't know. And there's a few ways I think the story could have been told better. Like, it would have worked better if he, if there was a reveal that he learned he was more than a warlock in this process. And that, that'd be kind of cool. But unfortunately, we already know that he's more than a warlock. Um, or, like, he's trying to... You know, so he's int- trying to infiltrate the group that poses the biggest threat to him. It would be good to know a little teaser of that ahead of time, rather than keep wondering why he's there, what is he doing there, um, and still, and unless until we learn that ultimately he wants to destroy them from within. Even though I feel like he has the power and the strength to, to not have to go within. Right. Well, um, I think also I the in the irony of this, of course, being at the same time while he's like trying to, you know, get to know his enemies by infiltrating. Uh, Cordelia also has this scheme we find out, which is the bigger reveal at the end to get to know her right. enemy to some degree. She's no dummy. I've also heard some uh, commentary here. Uh, maybe this is a little bit extrapolation on people's part, but the idea that Ariel's so you know hungry for power that he's willing to align with the devil kind of being a parallel to some modern political things going on. And if that is mm-hmm. the case, I have to say that might be just the most subtle that Ryan Murphy has ever been about anything ever political. <laughs> True that. Yeah. I just thought that was worth pointing out. <laughs> the Seven Wonders, when Michael does it, is filmed in this old-fashioned silent film style. Now, which they did in Coven, they did they played with that in Coven. Yeah, I thought that. Well, what did you think about that? So at first, I was like, eh, okay, you know, this is kind of cool. It's losing its luster. Um, you know, part of part of this test is seeing you know this interesting character take it. Uh, so we see telekinesis, and the way he does it are all super basic ways. They aren't as dramatic as when the women were doing it in in the original Coven. But once it cuts out of that old timey like hokey video with uh, you know the almost like fake magic it looks like, and we get to descend some, it's all of a sudden it goes back to the real world, and it actually has a little more of an impact of oh this test. Even though this was the one test I knew he would ace because it's essentially him just going home. Right. I mean, um, yeah. What do you think? I think that, I mean, you make a good point. I think that they use it as a device to move quickly past him doing the seven wonders. So that way they don't have to occupy a whole episode with him going through all these wonders. So it's kind of like, uh, it, almost like a, a montage, like a, a montage basically to kind of get to yeah. the point we're trying to get to, which is of course him going down to retrieve Misty Day. Um, now I, I think in the beginning of the credits of this episode, they had said that Mr. That Lily Ray was coming back as a guest star. So that was kind of, uh, assume that we would, I, uh, when I saw that, I assume we would see her again this episode. Um, but before right. he even does that, we have that interaction between Cordelia and Ariel having a confrontation where he accuses of her of being a weak woman and like moving, you know, the goalpost moving even further out, mm-hmm. <laughs> which, um, is very strategic on her part, as we learn. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and I think that her, I mean, her rebuttal to him, she kind of owns the shit out of him right there. But it was, it's, it's a good interaction. I, um, I've, I continue to enjoy the warlocks, each of them in yeah. their own way. You know what I mean? Uh, Ariel, but also um, Billy Porter and B.D. Wong and uh, the late. P.D. Wong's just chilling in the back lately. <laughs> yeah, play, playing piano. <laughs> yeah. For Stevie Nicks. So, so yeah, so Misty Day's been in her personal hell dissecting that frog for, what, five years? Um, which is pretty, like, I feel like that would really screw you up mentally to be in that place for so long after, like, it'd be tough to come back from that. And she kind of hints at that or, a little bit. Or I thought about this, too. Uh, you know, or at some point, do you just grow numb to it? Well, you'd think, but she seems like so torn up every time it cycles through. Yeah. Or does she forget that she's doing it every time down there? You know, and it's like it's it's just as horrible. That would be hell. Mm -hmm. So maybe that maybe that's it. But then, of course, he saves her by uh, doing the same thing to the teacher, like dissecting the teacher from the back, which is pretty gruesome. And she almost has a look on her face. I feel like when he does that, it's like happy. I mean, I guess it makes sense that she's happy because. She's, but she's definitely disturbed. But she's also definitely disturbed. And then when we see the flashback later, he kind of has all of the um, kids in the classroom start doing some yep. kind of like it's their it's so, eyes roll back and their mouths like open up. So what do you think he was doing there? Because I feel like it, it, it's he's like somehow communicating or I think that was kind of Missy Day's interpretation that he was communicating with them, and and Cordelia seems to think maybe he was bargaining to get Missy out of there. I think it's him talking to daddy. Yeah. <laughs> I think that probably makes the most sense. Yeah. 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 And then of course he, he delivers Misty day back. They kind of have the dramatic scene there and everything. And, and everyone's so happy to see each other that Cordelia's, you know, okay. That Michael's then going to be the next Supreme, or at least she acts that way. She never actually says it. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, this is, of course, when they kind of go into a back room, and the the big reveal of the episode is that she tricked Michael into bringing back her crew, which was it was I thought that was a cool reveal. I and, like that. That's a good twist. Yeah, bringing all her girls back, and um, obviously they have a sense now of his powers. Although that sense of his powers is that he's pretty all powerful, at least at this point in time. But you know, better to know thy enemy than not, I suppose. Um, right. They both have that kind of strategy. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, this episode ends with Stevie Nicks breaking in the doors at the school. Um, as the everyone... White Witch is back. And then, I mean, they all kind of commune in a pretty um, cordial way, I guess, while she sings Gypsy and, and B.D. Wong plays the piano. So Tickles the ivories. I liked um, part of this. Um, you know, th- this is a classic Ryan Murphy indulgement where he just wants to do it, he's gonna do it. He's earned the space to do this. Um, the the first like twenty to thirty seconds of this song, where we do see everyone kind of hanging out in different areas in the library or wherever the fireplace is, where she's the test was done and she's performing for all of them singing Gypsy. Um, there were parts of it that I really liked that escalated it, not escalate, elevated it to something beyond just a music video with Stevie Nicks. We see a lot of glances exchanged and like people like dipping out or walking around or looking at another person. Very Robert Altman-esque for me, and I love Robert Altman, and he's all about these kind of like big 
scenes and like what's happening in the corner, who's looking at whom, who's catching what out of the corner of their eye. So that was pretty cool, the first 20 to 30 seconds of um, Gypsy being performed. After that, I started getting a little, okay, all right, oh, oh, here we go, we're still going. And five minutes later, we've done the whole song. Other thing I'll say about it is at least the second half of it, uh, Lily Rabe saved the day for that. She made it such an emotional moment uh, and she really connected to Stevie Nicks in the song and sold it that uh, the emotion was sold to me. So I did feel something, even though I was kind of rolling my eyes during the whole sequence. I absolutely agree with you 100% on this whole thing. You know, normally I think we both are not huge fans of musical interludes. Um, at least, you know. I.E. or E.G. Uh, freak Show. <laughs> or like a whole season long musical. Um, mm hmm. But I will say I do, as you said, and, and I, as the more I think about this, the more you pointed out, the more I do appreciate kind of the subtlety of all those looks. Billy Porter, like, is now at the point where he's really kind of seems like he's really questioning Michael and maybe questioning also Ariel's motives. Um, I do think that a big part of the um, what Lily Rabe was going through, what Misty was going through at that point, was probably kind of recovering from this, you know, having spent five years in that mental hell, you know what I mean? And so it seems like this was like a salve almost on her subconscious that was probably pretty disturbed after having seen the scene over and over and over again. And so maybe that was part of what we were getting from that scene. Although I agree with you. It, I mean, I don't know that we needed to see the whole song, but I guess if they were bringing in Stevie Nicks, you got to use her. So mm-hmm. we'll get see you for an hour. Get what you can. Exactly. So we'll see if we see her again. And then, of course, the big ending to this, well, not the big ending, but the kind of cliffhanger is that Cordelia is dispatching an unlikely duo of Madison Montgomery and uh, Behold, Behold, Shibli, Shibli to um, Murder House together, which is interesting. Uh, I feel like there's going to be some good lines between the two of them. Uh, next episode, there already was a little bit here as well. And we also learned that Billy Porter, yeah, has... Um, is, needs to learn more himself. Yes. And Can you it, imagine Behold Chablis, Madison Montgomery, and Constance Langdon all throwing their one-liners at each other? <laughs> That's going to be like a lot to handle. <laughs> that will be a lot to handle. I think next, next episode might be a feat of writing to see all these old characters coming back and, and everything. Um, I mean... We've got, I don't know about you, I've got very high expectations for this. So we're going to have to see what happens. I, I feel like too. we've been waiting for this believe, episode all season. I think Sarah Paulson is directing the next episode as well. I think you're correct. I think you are correct in that. And we're getting uh, Ben and Vivian and Violet back too. Um, mm-hmm. And I think Tate as well too. So that'll be, that'll be interesting. Um, okay. So let's go ahead and, and first off ask about ratings for this episode. And okay. Rating device. Um, slashed Achilles? That's kind of gruesome. Ew. <laughs> 26 uh, year old bottles of wine? Uh, yeah, I can do that. Or. or um, frogs? Dissected many... frogs? Dissected frogs. There you go. Let's do that. Right. Uh, I, I guess, as I hinted earlier on, this episode was fairly strong. It's a conventional one. It's straightforward. I was okay with that. Um, I think it would have been a little stronger if there were a few um, dip backs to the present time, just so we're reminded that we're in a flashback. 
kind of reminds me of Roanoke in the sense where we're at a reality show for the first six episodes, but but it doesn't feel like that. But that kind of added an element of fear, not having the flash to reality, I guess. It, I think this could have been aided with and supported a little better or made it stronger if there had been a few flash forwards or at least one or two um, to the present time. That being said, it's still, I like the straightforward writing, kept it tight. We moved quickly. Um, it's amazing to me that we're just finally getting to the murder house because this has felt like just a coven season, uh, with the exception of Michael Langdon, who wasn't really a character in Murder House being a part of this season. And Rubberman, kind of. Um, right, true. Um, also, I know that there's still only eight episodes listed on IMDb and on Wikipedia, but I think we're supposed to get ten. Um, yeah, that's what I heard. Okay. So we're we're halfway through and we haven't got to Murder House yet. So it'll be interesting to see how we blend Coven and Murder House together. But I think introducing Madison and Behold as the, our first characters to take us there will be fun, which is in kind of the Coven tone uh, as opposed to being super dark and scary immediately. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, I also like the whole episode's kind of Mighty Ducks 2 feel. I'll call it, where you're getting the gang back together to go to Junior Olympics. This kind of feels like that to me, and I love getting the gang back together because we're already familiar with these characters. And that makes this season stronger to me. Uh, In the end, I give this episode a four um, dissected frogs out of five. I think that's solid. Yeah. I think you make a lot of terrific points. I think I, I too am frust- like a little annoyed by the fact that we are still in a, a flashback. It like it's it, like it makes the timeline a little bit difficult to keep track of in my head. To some mm-hmm. degree, I do wonder if that's intentional. If we're dealing with time uh, as we go later into the season, but you know, if you're just watching this episode in isolation and not thinking about the past episodes we've had, I guess then it's one of those situations where it's a really strong. I mean, it's a really strong episode. It's not like it being a flashback takes away from the inherent, you know, goodness of the episode itself. I would say, and I really appreciated the straightforwardness of it too. Um, this is, as we've kind of hinted at, like maybe the most like subtle, but in a really good way, episode of. TV Ryan Murphy's ever done. Um, and you can credit that to the writer and director, I think, who did a pretty terrific job of making that come together. And um, it really does set us up, I think, in a terrific position for next episode, which uh, we're both anticipating. And I think that Madison being the one to kind of be the ambassador to Murder House is an interesting choice because, as we talked mm-hmm. about before, um, she there's a lot of theories that she's hypothetically related to Dr. Charles Montgomery. Um, and if we think about it, and this is, I, I saw this pointed out online as well. Charles Montgomery was like stitching back together creatures and making them come back to life, which is the same kind of thing that Madison did to Kyle in Coven. And so who knows, maybe Charles Montgomery was a warlock and that's where these kind of connections come through and we'll learn a little bit more about her family history. But either way, can't wait to see the kind of characters we have coming because of that. And Correct me if I'm wrong, but Dr. Montgomery, he was the one who, they, when they were doing abortions down in the basement, someone kidnapped his kid and, like, dismembered it and then put it back to, and then he put it back together, and that was the infantata that would, like, live in the basement and kill people? Yeah, so he basically, um, someone thought, so he was, 
his wife kind of pressured him, who was played by Lily Rabe, Mrs. Montgomery, mm-hmm. kind of because he wasn't making very much money and was like always stoned on um, ether or something like that. And so she br- started bringing in business by bringing young women who were going to get abortions into the murder house. That's right. And he, what ended up happening is that um, some guy found out that Dr. Montgomery had given his. Uh, Baby mama, an abortion, I guess. And as retaliation, had taken right. baby Montgomery and chopped him into bits. And then he was and then he was reassembling. So, yeah, that's... You are remembering that, that portion correctly, so it'll be interesting to see. But I, I've, I've diverged off topic, but overall, yep, really, really like no, really this episode, and even for having a um, interlude, I do think all that kind of little subterfuge kind of stuff and the big twist with Cordelia's plan made this episode come together really strongly for me um, she's I Coach think, Bombay yeah I think I'm going to give this episode, God, great terrific movie ducks slide together quack 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 I'm going to give this episode a 4 as well that's a solid 8 I think that might be 2 8's in a row for us which I think is I think pretty so. impressive for kind of the, the middle of the season the middle can, t- can tend to be a place where it sags um but I think that we really liked the middle of Colt last season, too. So we'll have to see if they can sustain it all the way through. But, yeah, that's a solid 8 out of 10. So, with that being said, we already talked a little bit about all the people that are coming back. And it looks like potentially, I mean, we're going to see Michael, it looks like, at the murder house as well. Um, I, I think okay. in the glimpse I saw in the preview, he had his kind of white demon face on, which is interesting. So, ugh. There's going to be some excitement. I can't wait to see. And it was kind of fun right. to get that last glimpse of the house as the last shot before we kind of ended things here. Um so, between this week and next week, you can check us out thought. on... Oh, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. So, you know how Cordelia says, like, I got all my girls back together? She doesn't. Nan's not there. Jamie Brewer. When yeah, he... no. So, no, she doesn't yeah. have all her girls. Anyway, no. just thought of that. No, she doesn't. And I was kind of thinking about that, too. I mean, Jamie Brewer was in both of these seasons as well. Mm-hmm. Um, although she dies in Murder House... But right, gets... not, but not on the property, so she can't come back as a ghost, I believe. So it wouldn't make sense for her to be back in the murder house capacity. Right. But I'm trying to remember what happens to her character in Coven. I have to go look that one up too. But you're right; she doesn't have her back, which is interesting. Obviously, doesn't have Fiona back either. But I guess they had kind of had a split, and she wasn't really her girl anymore. <laughs> She's off in a in her own hell in a naughty pine house somewhere, right? <laughs> No, I think she ended up with Papa Legba, maybe. Um, I have to remember. I have to go back. Because it happened in the middle season of Coven. I, 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 hope that people, I hope people don't get too mad at us. This was also like six years ago. so. Yeah. Papa Legba was a good Five character, too. Well, and that actually brings something. Like, we still don't know how Dina, how Dina Porter's character and the, her yeah, kind of Marie Laveau. Mm-hmm. Like, how does right. that fit into all this, too? We haven't, I mean, I think we know Angela Bassett's not in this season. So where does... Where does that come in? That's yet to be seen as well. Right. Yep. So it'll be cool to see. But anyway, until next week, you can catch us at facebook.com slash this American Horror Story. And please come. Let's uh, throw some more theories around and talk things out before we go into what's going to be a really exciting episode six. Same thing uh, if you email us at thisamericanhorrorstory at gmail.com. We sincerely appreciate that. And as I said before, uh, if you rate us and review us on iTunes, that means a lot. We really appreciate that. So, Chris, where can people catch you before next week? I'm on Instagram and Twitter at Chris Husted, Chris with a K. What about you, Tyler? You can find me on Twitter at TJMoss11. Um, oh, and I was going to say, I did drink a bourbon and cider while watching the show last week, or last night. So I will do 
I'll pull it out when we record next week. We're going to be into Perfect. We're, we're into that full fall swing, so that's something to look forward it to. It is cold but. here, so tis the season. I agree. It's about time. Anyway, uh, happy hauntings, folks. We'll catch you later.